guys, welcome to Mad Science Films. I'm Jimmy P, filmmaker and sexual astronaut. First up, guys, please check out our fourth feature film for free over on YouTube. Just search for Little Monster or click on the link in the show notes below. This episode, I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. Terry Cooper, director of Off World and soon to be the director of his second feature film, Bloody Students. Terry, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, hello, and thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, I've seen a couple of your podcasts, and I've seen Little Monster, which I thought was fantastic. Oh, and uh, so I, I feel I'm in a nice, safe space here. You know, like minds, etc. Yes, yeah. I think I think we can always say we're we're yeah a safe space for for yeah low budget indie filmmakers. Uh, outside of that, who knows? Who knows? But um, yeah, I was first kind of made aware of Offworld way back when via the I think it was the joys of Instagram. Um, and uh, Jim, my producing partner, we were like in pre-production on our fourth feature. And on Instagram, we saw these photos of these maniacs building a spaceship bridge in their garage. And yeah. uh, that was an instant follow. Um, and, and as it happens, because this, of course, is, is South Wales and everybody knows everybody else, we ended up working with a lot of the cast uh, who was also cast members on um offworld itself so am i right in thinking offworld was your first film is that, is it was correct? yeah it was uh the plan was to uh sit down get a bunch of cosplayers together and make a 10 minute short um so we thought oh, it'd be nice if we could raise some money for this so we we did a kickstarter for two thousand pound and it raised ten thousand uh i'm like okay then while i'm writing it let's just write 90 minutes worth of script and see how much we can film and if we can shoot it all great if we can't shoot it all just do the 10 minute stick it on youtube and that's a showcase for anyone who worked on it to say hey look we made a we made a movie and uh you know uh again this is ancient history for me this is like seven years ago this week we shot it and um the we did a we put a tra a really basic trailer up on YouTube which is still there uh, a good couple of years ago and it got picked up by an American distributor and last week we signed their contract and we sent everything to the states so the the production is finally over after seven years of post production hell fantastic ah oh, congratulations so how how was Offworld the ten minute short apart from being obviously a lot short from the feature, what was the original concept behind the, the 10 minute short then? Well, weirdly enough, uh, I was, I was digging through old uh, chats recently because when we were submitting everything to the American distributor, you've got to send them every image, every file, every release form, ev basically every element of the film in front of and behind the screen, as much as you can find and get it over to them. So they've got multi massive uh, amounts of flexibility with what they want to do with it. Um, and I came across a, it wasn't even a word doc. It was a TXT file that said colony brackets, working title. And it had like five little bullet points about what we wanted this short film to be. Um, now, obviously, with some films, you write the story and then you work out how can we make this with, you know, locations and people available. But we did it the other way around. We went, what have we got? Who can we get? And what can we write around that? And my brain goes to sci-fi anyway, always goes to sci-fi. So um, we were like, well, we can get people and we can shoot outdoors. So unless you do another Star Wars fan film where everyone's a Jedi in the forest, because there's quite a lot of them, um, I said, let's do something like Pitch Black, you know, where they're stuck outdoors, or The Walking Dead, where it's like survival. 
one of the, my favorite films is Alive from, was it 92, 93 yeah. or something like I think, that? I think 92, yeah. Watched that recently, actually. Do you know who the lead guy is, apart from Ethan Hawke? The lead guy was the the oldish, uh, not the oldest chap, he was in the last series of The Walking Dead. There's the Commonwealth that they were in, that sort of community. He's the mm. guy who leads that. Oh, wow. He was he was like the doctor in Alive. Uh, still an amazing film, an amazing true story. But And I was like, well, let's do a sci-fi version of we've got to walk 300 miles to get to safety or whatever. And we just started cobbling that together. Um, I looked in my, my bullet points and it said that halfway through the film, they realized they're being watched by an indigenous alien and they sort of capture him. He doesn't speak any English, but he ends up befriending them and teaching them, don't eat that, but you can eat that, and don't drink the water there, and all this kind of stuff. And then this sort of mistrust builds up, and then uh, at some point, I think he gets killed. But we did away with that pretty soon, because unless it was going to be a guy in a rubber mask, um, or, you know, we couldn't afford prosthetics, so we went, let's just stick to the human story, which is cheaper. So what was the idea behind actually doing doing a film? Had you done any shorts before this? Or yeah. What was the passion? Yeah. Uh, well, I've done lots of extra work. And uh, I would back in the 90s, I was working in a stop motion animation studio as, uh, as an artist and making, you know, one six scale animation puppets of creatures, monsters, that kind of stuff. And um, when it came up to 2015, I got uh, a message from... Chris Bevan, who became our first AD and co-producer. And he was making a short for college called 10%. And it's basically a, a very condensed Guy Ritchie gangster flick. And his lead actor had dropped out. So he said, could you step in as lead actor? So it was myself and Gavin Rand who ended up in Offworld as well. And we spent like three or four days fake bloodied up with vests on tied to a chair, getting beaten up. Uh, so I was doing my best Jason Statham voice like that, basically. And uh, uh, Dave Wong, who's also uh, a Bridgen-based uh, yep. actor. I've, I've he, had the pleasure of working with Dave as well, yeah. He, he's brilliant. And, you know, he ended up in things like, he had bit parts in, was it not Sky, one of the uh, Pierce Brosnan Bond films, I think it was. Oh, okay. And, I know. Ooh, he yeah. ended up on bus stop posters for the, um, the recent... Uh, Fantastic Beasts. Fantastic Beasts too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was this uh, Asian wizard type guy. So it's like, I know that guy. Awesome. So yeah, um, Dave Wong was the uh, the Mister Big, and he came up to me with a with a stand life and said, "Do you know who I am, Mister Goodman?" And I said, "I don't know. Are you hit to deliver my Chinese." And then he beat me up a few times, and and that was it. Then you know, it, we it was a a, a college. Uh, film and it looked really cinematic it's still I think it's still on YouTube somewhere um, we also met Chris McFall there who was DOP and we got him in to do Offworld as well on the strength of that and uh, it was really good fun and you know uh, I think it may have been that and a combination of working on as an extra on on other things for BBC and you know like proper film and telly and it was like I've got to do something one day. I've got to do something. I'm I'm no spring chicken. I've got to get started on this. So, like I always say, uh, making my first feature film in my late forties is a little bit late in the game. But look, if you have got the idea and you have got the drive for it, just do it. You know, I say that to everyone. Just why not? Yeah. 
and you didn't make it easy for yourself. So you're doing a, an ambitious sci-fi film. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. No. Um, where, where, people... where did the sci-fi? Was that like because you're a passionate genre fan? It, it's me. I, I, I'm because I'm of a certain age. Um, I, I've got a DVD rack here full of mid 80s stuff you know escape from new york evil dead um you know the thing you know lots of john carpenter obviously all that kind of stuff and um i, I will always go to sci-fi anyway um i i honestly i i don't want i don't want to disparage anyone who wants to do kitchen sink dramas slice of life some of the more serious you know issues and that kind of stuff but it's not the kind of films that i watch anyway i want to go to the cinema to escape the drudgery of my life and, you know, literally just be taken away and, you know, anything's possible. So obviously Star Wars, like a lot of us, uh, is was the thing that made us go, that's what cinema can do. So, you know, I was always going to do uh, sci-fi and with sci-fi, it's very flexible as far as ideas. Mm. Uh, if we wanted to do a superhero movie, you're kind of like, right, well, we're going to put people in spandex costumes and how do we get them to fly and lift cars? But with sci-fi, it's like, the way I I always describe Offworld is ten people arguing in a field because you know although it's oh you've made this sci-fi movie it's like well it's it's still just ten people walking and bickering yeah. with each other yeah yeah I mean very similar to what Ridley Scott said about you know the first Alien it's it's a haunted house movie in space so yeah exactly great. exactly oh, fantastic fantastic so in terms of then expanding out uh, it from this ten minute idea into a feature length script. Uh, I understand you had a co-writer with this and how did that relationship work and, and you know, how did you co-write a script together then? Yeah, well, um, I came up with like all the plot points and stuff uh, along with Adam, who was our co-producer at the time. Um, and one of the one of the most amazing writers I know is Chris Lynch, who uh, I was working kind of co-working with on some little graphic novel stuff he was doing at the time um but also he started working writing for candy jar publishing uh the book publishers in cardiff uh, and i do a lot of illustration for them and i put my first three books out with them as well and i was every time i've read anything of chris lynch's uh i'm just blown away he's proper like bestseller quality with everything he does and he's super meticulous so when i send him my scrawls he goes right well that doesn't work because of that and that needs fixing because of that and you need to explain that better and he just basically ties up all the loose ends for me sends it back and i go oh yeah that was a that was a right you know a fish net with loads of holes in it that you've fixed uh but it isn't arty enough and I've, i i go and undo some of the holes again and i send it back to him and he ties them back up again and we just bounced it back and forth like that. So, uh, you know, um, as soon as I can get a chance to work with him in future, I will, because like he's he's my my messiah when it comes to writing. He's just the man, basically. Yeah, yeah it's really helpful to have guys like that, that you can kind of, I suppose in, a, in another version of the language, is almost like a script doctor, isn't it, really? Just oh, yeah, yeah. You get too close to your own script and you can't see the wood for the trees. And even uh not um before christmas i did a kind of live youtube video where i was reading my own script to about six people and even then i saw it with new eyes and people were going yeah but earlier on this happened but wouldn't they be like and you go oh yeah you know because you you need someone to bounce off basically or some kind of feedback so with off world then 
how many iterations or how many drafts of the script did it you know get to until you got to the shooting script itself as far as i can remember um we gave it a new draft number every time i sent it to chris um so it was like i'd write draft one send it to him it comes back to me as draft two then i send it to him and it comes back to me that's draft three i think we got to six or seven um it wasn't major changes but any changes were made were on chris's side clarity and making sure everything kind of makes sense and on my side it was more on the kind of um making sure dialogue is realistic and not too over the top and um stripping out anything that may be too expensive to shoot you know like the alien idea and and things like that and uh even when we got to the shooting script when we were shooting we started getting like a marker and going we don't need this line we don't need that so we were editing even while we were shooting because i found that the way chris likes to work with his accuracy he occasionally has characters repeat things more than once now i, I totally know where he's going from with that because there's this this rule in advertising that says that you've got to tell somebody three times before they act upon it. The first time they kind of hear it and it goes over their head. The second time they kind of go, oh, that reminds me of the first time. And the third time they go, now I get it. I'll do something about it. And he's kind of right. But when the actors would go in a con in a scene, so we've got 300 miles. 300 miles? That's a long way to go. Yes, we're going to have to do that 300 miles. You go, hang on. There's a yeah. bit of repetition here. So we started, you know, scribbling out some of those. But generally... Um, I did a comparison the other day. I've got a copy of the script uh, from Offworld from when we were shooting it, which is marked up like crazy and folded and moth-eaten and other thing. Uh, and I've got a, a new copy, which is the on-screen dialogue, which we had to submit for subtitles. Yeah, And they're almost two different movies. I mean, the same events, but the dialogue has completely changed because some actors like to drop in their version of the line or, you know, they... I, I did it myself. You know, you, your brain goes blank. You know what you've got to say, but you don't know the exact wording. So you say something similar. And, you know, the two things, it's really interesting to see how it evolves from the, the original writer's script to what is ends up on screen, you know. Yeah, I, I know, you know, from experience, if you've got great actors, sometimes a line of dialogue doesn't even need to be said. It can be conveyed through a reaction. I know. But, you know uh, uh, yeah, as a writer, you, you know, you think, Oh, I, my my characters are blank, empty empty shells. I've got to give them all their emotion and everything. But actors, you know, worth their salt will go. Well, I can do this with a look, you know. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I learned all this in Offworld. Like I've always said, Offworld, to me at least, was fifty percent utter bliss, and fifty percent. I won't say it. Torture. <laughs> um. That's, pretty, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good ratio. That's a pretty good ratio. Yeah, I mean, if you add on top of that seven years of post-production hell, um, maybe it was like 60-40 torture. Sure. But um, yeah, a, a lot of people have said to me, how can you say it was painful at all? You got to make a sci-fi film. I was like, you have no idea the battles that went on before, during and after shooting. Yeah, people and... who say that have, have never made a film. So, yeah. Absolutely. And it, it's everything from money personal relationships um you know stress time uh i mean to this day i've not received a penny from offworld um we we paid all the crew all the editors sci-fi uh, effects people catering petrol expenses and if any 
if any money at all comes back from, you know, if, if it sells in the States, the first people who get paid are the actors. Um, now, I am an actor. Yay. <laughs> win win. No, but um, we, we're paying all the actors who work for free. Yeah. And and only then once they've got their uh, I don't know what the percentage is going to be, but once they get their money, if there's anything left, then the producers get it. So, you know, I, I did it for the love of it. And I do and have had anonymous people jumping up online and accusing me of being some con man who took 10,000 pounds from Kickstarter and ran away with it. And I'm like, I wouldn't be tearing my hair out seven years later to make a film, to finish a film. If I was some kind of con man, you wouldn't see me. I'd be gone by now, Yeah, but I'm not in it for that. I'm in it to make a sci-fi movie because it's something I've always wanted to do. You know, I think a lot of people just don't understand the core ethics or ethos behind crowdfunding and the important part of that is the the crowd part um and yeah yeah like yeah the and not a lot of them read the 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 terms and conditions and no no because that you can add in which basically explains look you know we're doing this for for the love of it and yeah yeah, you say you know yeah it would have been the easiest thing would have been for you just to drop off the face of earth radio Uh, yeah how many kickstarter um i mean when kickstarter first started there was a, a space marine um film project called legionnaires that millions of people around the, the country put money into it it made like a million quid and it fizzled out never got made uh, i put money i think i put like a tenner in back in the day um but some people put in like you know 50 grand or whatever and it disappeared and it, it's it's almost like an urban legend now oh, i remember the legionnaires film that never got made and you know countless films don't get made and because of that the terms and conditions of every crowdfunding site, not just Kickstarter, we're talking Indiegogo, Crowdfunder Co. UK, all these others. It says you're not paying to guarantee this film get made. It's like the film could still not get made, but you still don't get your money back. Yeah. You 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 donate at your own risk. And I did a thing um, recently on, on Instagram. It's one of these um, anonymous question, ask me anything things. Mm. And again, one of my uh, fan club popped up and said, do you feel bad? raising money for a second film when you took money off the first one and no one's seen it. And they kept coming back with questions like that saying, uh, um, you know, uh, I want my money back. Uh, well, the person who was being a hater, I, I can pretty much guarantee they didn't put a penny into the film anyway. They just have some sort right. of personal axe to grind, wow. yeah. but they're so brave. They wouldn't, you wouldn't identify themselves. Um, but other people would say, well, you know, you, you, you're working on your second film, but we haven't seen the first one. And I'm like, it does exist, I promise you. And we're trying to get the film to people who have backed uh, Offworld to begin with. Um, but we can't just put a link and stick it online now because we now we have a distributor and that completely invalidates the agreement because they can't sell it if it's freely available. I mean, so, I'm rolling it back, really. I mean, they don't understand how, how the film industry works anyway. You know, it's not no. like Spielberg doesn't take on another project until, you know, it's out, you know, Schindler's List is out well, in cinemas and then, yeah. I should have started Bloody Students four or five years ago. You know, yes. yeah, uh, yeah. I started it a year ago. So I'm glad I'm ahead. I'm, I'm on my fourth draft already. Yeah, great. So, yeah. yeah. Um, at least I've got some sort of traction now. And we're kind of getting into fundraising and pre production. So, yeah. You know, which, again, which moves me perfectly onto my next question, Terry. So, in terms of off world, then, so which, which came first? Was it the, the, the funding or the budget? You know, did you kind of sit down and go, right, this is going to cost this much, therefore we're going to crowdfund? Or did you kind of think, right, let's let's see what the interest is 
and then budget to whatever we raise? Well, I think it was a case of, um, let's say we worked out where we could film and who we could use. Um, mm. And we thought, well, that's going to be reasonably cheap. And, the, we, you know, the actors from the start said, you know, we, we're doing this as a showcase piece. We're not expecting to get paid. So we thought if we can raise like two grand for catering and, you know, people's traveling expenses, you know, one or two people came from out of Wales. So we like put them up in a and b I thought, well, you know, we'll do that. But as soon as we got to the end of the, the crowdfunding month and we, we got 10,000 pounds, Kickstarter took their grand or whatever it was out of it. Um, so we ended up with about nine and a half. Um, then I started putting my savings in to make the aforementioned uh, uh, spaceship set and stuff. But um, we kind of, we had, we had the script and then we basically said, well, we've only got this amount of money. So we started approaching people and saying, could you shoot it for this? Could you edit it for this? Because that's all we've got. Rather than going, could you edit our film? How much will that cost? And they'll go, four grand. I go, we can't afford that. You know, so we basically said, we've got like two grand. Could you shoot the film for us, you know, for that? And, you know, people would find ways to sort of make it work. But it's got to be quicker and we got to do less of this and more of that. And, you know, any way to cut corners and, and cut costs, basically. So that's that's kind of how we squeezed a film out of that really tiny budget you know yeah yeah and where did you find the majority of the budget was allocated to in the end um i think the the, the biggest uh the biggest one stop uh, area that most of the money went into was the camera crew because we had uh, a dop um a second camera um so both of those guys got paid in fact our dop bought a whole new kit with his fee anyway he bought himself a, the camera he really wanted so we had two identical uh dslrs whatever shooting um and then obviously sound and we put quite a bit of money into uh the effects um because we had some college students but we also had a couple of professional guys we sent shots up to them and said can you paint out that pylon in the background and can you put some mountains in and a planet in the sky and um all, all the kind of make it look a bit more like you know uh an into outer space planet rather than a you know country park type thing so yeah i think it was it was you know basically camera and sound really yeah yeah which is i mean that that's great and that's kind of you know where things end up on screen you you want yeah. the money to end up on on screen really um Often, when you when you're making films, and you know, uh, it can be kitchen sink or it can be whatever. It, it's sometimes the logistics of getting people from A to B, and yeah, the yeah, yeah. Way, you know, in the simple things there, and obviously, I understand you guys in terms of the the principal photography was only six seven days. Is that right? Yeah, the main shoot, the out all the outdoor stuff, six days. We did them from Monday to Saturday, six a.m. start when it was freezing, freezing cold. It was, it was April 26, 2017. Uh, freezing cold in the mornings we all sit there with the you know we, we've got photos of everyone wrapped up in blankets hugging each other uh and then when it got to about 1 p.m in the afternoon the sun was ridiculously hot i was burnt to a crisp we all were but we were so cold earlier that you don't feel the sun burning you yeah so <laughs> we filmed as chronologically as possible uh in this in this terms of the story so by the end of it my goodness me my hair is about as long as it is in the film but it's up there because it's it's been washed every day and it's like I was like can we fix that in post because my I've got this I look like like some kind of um, mountain man you know I've got a sunburn I've, I've literally got 
you know the crow's feet you get in a cartoon when someone like dynamite goes off in their face and they're all black and then they've got these what yeah i had oh, that from yeah. sunburn from squinting out in the sun and i was peeling and everything and we did look we all looked a bit knackered and a bit sort of weather beaten by the end of the film which kind of works you know yeah no absolutely yeah makes sense in terms of the context you mentioned it earlier in terms of the, the crowdfunding an absolute success it sounds like so the original target was was two thousand two thousand right? pound yeah and 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 how many days was the campaign over 30 days just 30 days and uh, yeah. you, you at the end of the day you raised ten thousand and fifty four pounds fantastic i mean and this was back in 2016 is that right? 2016 yeah that's right yeah fantastic fantastic so was this your first experience of crowdfunding it was yeah um so i i you know looking back at it now um the only reason we did as well as we did was because of the enthusiasm of the cast because they were super buzzed to be in the film you know they weren't doing it like oh we get a payday out of this it was more like we get to be in a movie uh, a lot of them hadn't done um much for a while some of them have acted you know amy and, and danny have acted in films um but other people it was their first film and they wanted to get into it um so they just went crazy on the social media so like sharing the link out and with every kickstarter when you launch it you get a big influx of money to begin with you know maybe it's like a grand and then it goes down throughout the month and it's like oh, nothing that day and all of a sudden it starts to raise up and right near the end it ramps up because people go oh it's, oh, it's i better throw my fiver or my tenner in at the end so yeah i think that's um uh, i mean looking back when it comes to things like rewards of t-shirts and and prints and we had patches and all sorts of things like that um i think we we didn't plan that well enough because we spent a fortune on posting stuff out Right. We had 255 backers, um, most of them in the UK, but we did have some in Europe. We had one in Japan and one in Australia and like four or five in the States. So, you know, just trying to wrap unwieldy sized things and packets of things in boxes that wouldn't fit through letter boxes. And you go down the post office and they go, yeah, that's a, that's a million pounds in postage, please. And you go, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So I need to try and plan that a bit better in future. Yeah, and in terms of kind of supplementary material to kind of keep the excitement building and everything, did you prepare quite a lot of material? And what what sort of material did you prepare for? We we didn't actually. Um, I don't think we made a lot of stuff, but we we did our best to appear at a number of conventions. Um, right. The furthest we got was probably Bristol and um, places like that. But we did a couple in Newport, a couple in Cardiff, and we had a table where we'd put like a banner on the front. We'd have um, some of the cast members would be there in their in their, their uniforms with their you know 3d printed guns and um we'd raffle stuff uh the one thing we used to do was the rifle raffle where i'd basically get a nerf rifle paint it up you know star wars style all black loads of scratches and weathering and just raffle it for a pound a ticket and we were raising like 200 quid per wow. per event you know just to put into the kitty so that was all helping um but yeah i mean we had like interviews and we had um we made a promotional video um sort of in universe because in in the film um the company that's running the colonization mission is called pgci which is pan global colonization initiative um so we've done this sort of fake robocop feel kind of the earth is dying but luckily pgci has stepped in to find a new planet where you can live in luxury join us and it was all that and it was, it was out in a field with a 
with a with a rake and then a guy would come up to me with a letter and he'd be the postman we look at the camera and go you know and it was all like really sort of tongue-in-cheek Paul Verhoeven the future is a better place with PGCI that kind of thing um so that's you know it was minimal stuff but I'm hoping to do more of that kind of thing in the run-up to the next one I think I think that that's kind of key and it sounds like yeah you kind of um augmented it with in-person appearances that's know, it and, yeah various funds and everything like that but I know going back to campaigns where whether it takes off or it doesn't take off the number of times you kind of yeah you you know donate your money and then you don't hear anything for the rest of the 30 days and you know yeah I think it's really important to kind of maintain and build the excitement through the project oh and yeah I, and I think yeah sorry. um when that 30 days is going along it's it's like you say it's it's important to keep everyone updated so kickstarter does this update thing where you can just type in updates and it emails all the backers and i've today i've done 103 updates over the last seven years um even in the years when nothing was happening like lockdowns and stuff are going guys we haven't given up we know don't don't forget about us you know don't think it's not coming up because we're going to drag this over the finish line kicking and screaming um but also it's important not to just get the filmmaker to update the backers it's also important to get the cast and the crew to show their support as well because what happens if it's only coming from one person people might get the impression that well no one else is supporting this film it's only the guy who's trying to make it and you've got to prove that you do have a team behind you even if it's just oh yeah handful of actors or you know some of the some of the people who are going to be working on music or, or effects or whatever Definitely. I mean, you know, it's a group of cheerleaders. If there's just one 40 year old cheerleader on there, that's yeah, that's you're like, like <laughs> this is a bit sad. <laughs> you know, he's <laughs> like, where, where's your posse? Where's, yeah. where's all the other people closest to you who should be supporting this film? And I think, I think, I mean, I, I would, I would count that as like additional material. You know, yeah, getting mm. your cast and crew to write pieces to the backers and all of this, yeah. saying, you know, about their character or the crew saying what their job is. I think, I think that's yeah. key. And I think, you know, the the kind of people who are, uh, you know, backing films, especially you know, indie films of of a genre thing, tend to be either you know, full on sci fi fans or you know, interested in filmmaking. So I think those kind of that's right, are, yeah, you know, are gold dust really for. for and, and to be honest, the the second group of people you mentioned, the people who are generally interested in filmmaking, hmm. I think they're the I don't want to say better, but I'm saying they're the more preferable bunch of people because they understand to a certain extent how much go, get, goes into a film. Mm-hmm. Um, sci-fi people know what they like. You know, everyone likes a, a different type of sci-fi, whether it's fantasy or whether it's like hard sci-fi, dystopian sci-fi. There's so many different flavors. Um, but if you've got people who are generally interested in film, um, they'll be happy to hear about the story and the creative side, but they're also happier to hear about, well, how are you going to do effects? How are you going to make a spaceship? How are you going to be in a spaceship? How are you going to crash the spaceship? So um, while that's, those things I mentioned were like sci-fi conceits, it's 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 still interesting to a general film fan. Yeah. You know, even if we said we were crashing a car, they're like, well, how are you going to crash a car? Let's see how you do that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you've got to, you've got to, Try and satisfy sci-fi fans and satisfy the uh, the film fans. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I mean, obviously, you were saying, you know, during the, the dry periods when you know, yeah, we were all stuck in lockdown and everything. What what was great 
for Offworld the project was you had these comparisons of this is what it looked like when we shot it and this is what it looks like with all the VFX layered on top and everything like that. So still maintaining, you know, some form of interest with your backers and being able to say, look, this is, you know, it's still happening and this is, you know, your filmmaking nugget for for the week, the month, whatever, you know, the releases you were doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, seven years is a long time. Um, and we did we did really well uh, in, in the updates that we did. And like you say, the comparisons and showing people the little bit of progress that was being made every time without giving too much away. Mm. Um, it really worked. And I think we did well in terms of we didn't get very many people throwing, you know, their toys out the pram and going, I've had enough of this. I give up on you guys. You're a bunch. You know, I wanted this film two years ago. Um, there were there were like one or two people who said, oh, this film's never getting made. I want my money back. And that was like one or two, literally one or two people out of a, everyone who's seen the film and 250 odd backers. And, you know, I, I was as nice as possible. I said, look, firstly, that's not how crowdfunding works. Secondly, you don't own the film if you've crowdfunded it. I mean, I've put money into lots of people's films. Mm -hmm. um, anytime I see a project on Kickstarter, I'll put in you know, 10 or 20 quid, whatever. And I don't claim to own part of that film. You know, it, it's... Yeah. It's because you want to help someone create something that you you think will be better made than not made. Um, so, you know, and then there was one or two of my, you know, my sort of ongoing anonymous hater posse who, who will come up and say, you're a con man. You've just taken all this money. We'll never see this film. I'm like, well, look, at the end of the day, you're going to see this film whether you like it or not, because we're not doing this to prove a point to you. We're doing this because we want to make the film. What would you do differently for the bloody students crowdfunding that you do, you know, from Offworld, so? Well, I'm in the process of setting it up right now. Um, we're, I'm, I'm leaving it a little bit late, unfortunately. Uh, I know you've got to hit submit and get them to approve everything, um, but we haven't got long. We've got about seven days at the time of recording this. So um, I, what I want to do this time is have um, some better graphics explaining more uh, clearer. I'm, very, I'm a very wordy person. Uh, I think I'm a bit too verbose. This is why my original script was like 200 pages and now I've like sliced loads out because I overcompensate like trying to tell people too much and I go off on tangents, as you probably spotted already. Um, and I think that's adult ADHD, which I've only just realized I've probably had all my life. Mm. Um, you over egg the pudding, as it were. So uh, what I would do is is make sure that someone who's, never heard of me before no idea about the film gets it in the first few sentences basically clarify and clarify as much as possible distill it down to the most basic ideas that people get it um so when people say so bloody students what's that about and i go students locked in a museum overnight fighting mummies and they're like that's a simplification but it tells you the three things and it's like even that sentence is quite comedic. The title Bloody Students is quite funny because everyone at some point has said Bloody Students. That instantly tells you it's a comedy. There's blood involved and there's like mummies and students. So it's like you got to try and distill everything. Uh, I've I've seen people say to me, I've written a sci-fi book. And I'm like, okay. And I go, do you think your publisher would be interested in it? I go, sure. What's the story? Right. Well, there's this guy and he's 14 and he lives on this planet where, and he goes on for like half an hour. And, and uh, you know, the whole political... Uh, federation are attacking but he's part of a, of a rebellion and you go yeah but what happens <laughs> you know what's it about you know you you 
it, it's horrible trying to distill what is you know something you love like you've you spent months or in my case a year writing a, a new film and someone says give me an elevator pitch you know just tell me in three sentences what the film's about because you think there's so much nuance there's so much i want to say but it's like you've got to get them down to to yeah. get their interest this is why newspapers have big headlines it's like yeah. you know prince yeah. charles is king that's all you need you know um because you've got to get people in with the first couple of words and uh Absolutely. It's not always easy for me to do. No, it's it, it's difficult, and there's so much you know media out there that yeah, to capture somebody's attention in the quickest way possible is a skill which yeah, absolutely every producer, every filmmaker needs needs to be able to get. No, absolutely, mm. absolutely. I tell you what, the one thing because um, you've done crowdfunders, haven't you? Uh, we've done like a we used it as a pre-ordering campaign for okay. Little Monster, so we didn't do yeah. it before we shot it, but yeah, we we did okay. one through Indiegogo. You know, I, I'm at the stage now where I've got to do the presentation video, you know, when you go, hi, everyone, I'm Terry, and I'm writing a film for this. I'd like you to put your money into it. That's filled me with dread. I, I like talking to camera. Um, I'm not very good at uh, learning lines. Uh, I, I managed with Offworld. Thank, thanks, Danny, actually. She forced me to sit there and go through scenes without the script in my hand. Um, but other than that... Um, I have I'm, maybe I'll have to get like an auto cue or something because um, how to go about it because I've seen some some um, it's weird you see some really successful crowdfunding campaigns where the guy is just sitting up against the wall going hello I've got this idea for this film and I think it's going to be really good and blah blah and he makes a fortune but you've also got people who do full on productions they got costumes they got things going off and the best video effects and transitions and all that and there's no guarantee of what approach will work the best yeah i don't think you need to go super flashy with it you just i think you just need to have a certain amount of honesty and a certain amount of uh relatability to who you're talking to and i think um if you can show them that you uh are determined and passionate about it i think that will go further than having a flashy you know background and all those transitions but again this is something i've got to sort of work on in the next few days and get it done really quickly and i'm uh crapping myself basically uh, do you know it's much of a difference in in terms of the the crowdfunding landscape from 2016 to you know 2023 yeah and it's not good unfortunately um because of the lockdown and the pandemic and the cost of living thing that we're we're all going through not just here but in the states and everywhere else yeah. um the global situation is people are a lot more reluctant to put money into stuff um yeah. this does worry me uh about the upcoming crowdfunding now because back in 2016 you know uh there was none of that people weren't worried about you know the the gas and electric and everything going up through the roof the prices and all that now it's a little scarier a little trickier and i am worried that we won't make any um or or we'll make a tiny amount but it's all it's it's going to be all or nothing funding so basically right. yeah i don't want to be able to get like raise 200 pound from people i don't even know and then keep that money and still not make a film you know uh i just want them to not be charged if we don't hit our our goal um so if we don't hit our target and we don't get any money for it all i'll do is put it back a year um and hopefully that you know the the current situation will be better in a year's time i'm not gonna um you know put it in mothballs i'll just i'll keep making little bits i'll keep doing some promotion keep the the social media going 
I'll, I'll even tweak the script a bit more, whatever. And it may be that some of the cast will be unavailable. They may drop out. They may get too old, uh, that kind of thing. But it's a case of we keep going. We'll just keep going. We'll put it back another year because my original plan was shoot it this year. Right. I went and got... Um, I've got them. Have I got them here? No, I haven't. I had um, some business cards made up, and on the back of the business card was the pitch about what the film's about and what we plan to do. Mm. And every card says it's going to be shot in the South Wales area in 2022. Um, and that's on 500 business cards, most of which I've still got. So I'm getting a sharpie and I'm grabbing one of the cards and I'm right scribbling out the in 2022 bit. Yeah, because yeah. I've I made learned, that mistake. I made that mistake. Don't put dates on stuff. No. Don't. Yeah. Yeah, we we used to um, when we were in the in the run up to Little Monster, um, and again, yeah, rookie mistake. We put we put a date on the end of it. What for? Who? <laughs> it just means yeah. you know you instantly yeah just make stuff yeah obsolete. Yeah, I've just remembered. I've got here's a flyer version of it. Yeah, uh, and and this this section in black. Uh, there you go. Yeah, the South Wales area in 2022. So I'm sharpening that out on, on these. <laughs> I've got a box full of these, you know, yeah. and and the cards. Yeah. Well, from now on, I just put soon. <laughs> it yeah. <laughs> yeah, because soon is quicker than it'll happen when it happens, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs>